thank you for tuning in to Faith Worship Center's weekly sermon. We hope you are inspired and encouraged by this week's message as we all live to bring more of heaven to earth. So good to be here with you. (laughs) Now that I'm all the way up here and I see a lot of familiar faces and a lot of new faces, but Daryl and Lynn, thanks for having us here. Oh, we love you guys more and love you to the moon and back, like I tell my grandkids all the time. And I'll tell you, this church has been a real supporter for Gates Recovery Center. And thank you, thank you, thank you for supporting Gates because we need it. You know, I mean, you can love on people, but a lot of times it takes money to do stuff and to get them to the place that they were going to be. I just want to read our mission scripture. It's Isaiah 62.10. It says, go through the gates, prepare the highway for my people to return, smooth out the road, pull out the boulders, and raise a flag for all the nations to see. So I was asking the Lord what the flag was, and I did a little research, and that's the salvation. I wrote down, it's the banner of salvation. And salvation, you know, is being saved, being healed, being delivered. It's all those things. So that's kind of what our mission is here at Gates. And today, I'm just, what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to quickly go through all the stuff that Gates does. Some of the things that we've been seeing at Gates, um, let's see, we started our church in the barn. A lot of you remember that, 2012. And in 2018, the Lord spoke to our hearts and said, um, I want you to choose either the recovery center, which we're just recovery groups at the time, but we were still ministering to people, or the church. And we just thought, at first, our thought was, well, what did we do wrong? Like, <laughs> did we do something wrong that we have to choose now? But God knew that the pathway in the future for, for this ministry would need to be a total focus. And it wouldn't, because when you have a church, it's a big thing all on its own. When you have a recovery agency, it's a big thing all on its own. Well, he didn't want us to do all of it. And rightfully so. So that was 2018, and we've been we have become a full time recovery agency. So it's a faith based non residential agency, and we give peer supports. So it's not a clinical model; it's more peer. So the peers are people that have been through the same issues. We're parents of of a son, Joshua, who had an addiction for 15 years. And so we're, we're peers of two other parents. And someone who has had an addiction and has come out of that is now a peer to somebody else. So our son started at age 14. We didn't know a thing that was happening. We were stunned. We were ministering in a church in Peterborough for many years, and um, people didn't know what to do. The church didn't know physically what to do. Of course we knew how to pray. Of course we knew how to you know, um, do deliverance and prayer and all of that. And that's all part of it. But we are a spirit, a soul, and a body. (laughs) And so we didn't know any body stuff, any physical stuff about this. So when he started doing, um, struggling with addictions, our first thought was that we needed to gather other parents of other prodigals. And other, we called him a prodigal, and we knew that that son was prayed for, he was given to us, and he was not going to be taken away. So on that basis alone, we gathered other parents, and we started just reading the scripture over our sons to come home, over our daughters to come home. And we just didn't give up, and we did that for many years. But the Lord kind of enhanced that whole measure, and, and then asked us to become recovery coaches. We then delved into from being pastors and to being Christian counselors to being marriage counselors because marriage is broken when you're in addiction to being recovery coaches to having a license with the state of New Hampshire to um, be recovery professionals and collaborating with other so that was the key was the prayer was the key but we needed to enhance that for the whole person to become well So it was spirit, soul, and body. And so we became recovery coaches. So over those in that next 15 years, boy, did we learn a lot. We cried a lot. And we sang at the piano a lot. We just just prayed. 
We didn't even know what we were doing while we were doing it, but God was there. At every turn, God was there. So he was calling us to work with people that have addictions. And we call them, not addicts, but we call them treasures because they are the treasures of God. And even though it gets covered with all that junk and all that nasty stuff, they're still treasures, even though they're covered by that. So it's me and Charlie. We get to dig, 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 dig down there. So we advocate for people. The, the main thing that we do is we love them. We may not have to know, know how to do anything or meet their needs at that moment, but we can love them. So they come to us. We provide a safe place. And we just love them right where they're at. If they're gay, if they're living with their girlfriend, I don't care what it is. We just say, come on in. We're like mom and dad. Come on in for dinner. Come on. Have a good time. Let's sing. Let's tell some stories. And then we just minister to them that way. So spirit, soul, and body, these are our treasures for sure. Um, I love this verse. Um, Let's see, Psalm 147. God heals the brokenhearted. And that's who has been coming to us, is the brokenhearted. And every one of us are brokenhearted in some way that we can actually understand what's going on with people. And we don't have to fix them. It's not us to do that. We can provide resources. We can take them to treatment. We can be wherever they need us to be. But our main focus is to love them. That is what me and Charlie are called to do. Just love them right where they're at. So our slogan on our T-shirts is come as you are. It's shame off of you. It's don't should on me. It's, <laughs> it's these things that kind of drop the walls that sometimes a faith-based, we say we're faith-based recovery, but it's not like we announce this. When they come in, if they don't want to hear anything about God, you know what? We have God that lives in us, and we love them right where they're at. And isn't that what God's, the gospel is about, is just sharing God's love? And, it, and we, we make a way for them to feel safe. Now they have a, um, a relationship with us, and then eventually that leads to a relationship with God. It's up to him to love them. It's up to him to heal them, but it's up to us to love them. And we can just love them to him, his healing them. So some of the things that we do here, support we call them support services, And on Monday night, we have a medication-assisted therapy group that meets at Gates. And right now, they're still on Zoom. I was a counselor for that because I am a Christian counselor now as well. And um, But I'm not doing that anymore. But these people are coming in, and they're getting recovery coaching as well as being on a medication-assisted therapy program. So they have to have counseling, and they have to come to Gates and they feel this, the presence of God there. So they, that happens on a Monday night. Tuesday night is our Gates's big all-recovery meeting. And I say all-recovering, it's like codependency, it's overeating, it's sexual addiction, it's bulimia, anorexia, whatever it is that they're dealing with, the addiction really isn't the problem, it's the roots. And Faith Worship Center has helped us out here with taking some of our clients and praying that deep so-so prayer with them. And we do that as well. And we even have like a trauma-informed care, soul care type of prayer that we do that also gets to some of the deep issues. So that's our goal, is to kind of dig deep. When they let us, they design the recovery. Um, Then on Tuesday night, we also do uh, worship, and different churches come and do three songs of worship. So we want to all sing together and love God together and show them how to do that. And then we have testimonies. And so we meet from 7 to about quarter to 9, and it's an hour of testimonies or stories. I time it every time. It's just like Charlie is a great MC. He gets up there and he says, does anybody have a story? And he's just so smooth about it. And he kind of looks at people and they're going, are you looking at me? Okay. (laughs) And then they come up and tell these great stories. And once you get one story, it just primes the pump for all that God's doing. Well, this is what God did for me. Well, now I'm two years clean. And we've had one years, two years, three years, all the way up to 25 years. Of course, they weren't with us at that time, but they're continuing and sustaining their recovery. 
So it's really great. And then we both break out in guy and girl groups. We call them support groups. And we have some really awesome get down to the nitty gritty, share your feelings kind of group. And everybody feels safe. And if they don't feel safe, they don't talk, but they keep coming. And we keep loving them and keep providing that safe place for them. Wednesday night, one of our board members holds a Bible study. And so there's been probably around, he said, seven to nine guys that have come to this Bible study. They were on the Book of Romans, which has really been great. Thursday night, AA meets at our um, facility. And so some people, that's their path of recovery. And we say, yep, go for it. It's here, 7 o'clock on Thursday. So all during the week, we are recovery coaching. So this is what makes up our hours all during the week. We recovery coach. So we have recovery coaches. Andrew is here with us. He's going to speak and tell his story in a few minutes. And um, we have, let's see, one, two, three, four, five recovery coaches at the moment. And you make an appointment, so there are appointments being made all during the week, evenings, sometimes just telephone appointments, sometimes Zoom appointments. We do even have um, clients that are out of state and uh, several states so that we speak with them there. Um, pastoral counseling, we do inner healing prayer and the trauma soul care, aftercare. Aftercare is really important. And, and I think that's where people get dropped off is that they're gone to treatment or they're coming out of jail or prison and they have nowhere to go. And there isn't anybody to catch them. There isn't anybody to say, oh, come, how would you like to come here? Or we often take a lot of our treasures here to faith worship because we love faith worship. And we just take them here and introduce them to God and the music and just the love of the people and being so friendly. So that's a really important thing. Um, We do, let's see, where was I? So we do prison visits, jail visits. We do recovery coaching in there. We do um, a lot of court and medical advocation so that we can be in court. And now the courts and probation people are calling us. It seems that we're getting a reputation for our name, which is a good thing. And it's just like, oh, those people over in New Ipswich, let's call them. So treatment centers are now calling, okay, so-and-so is coming back to you now. And they do this soft handoff where they're helping them in 30 days. And, okay, now let's set up recovery coaching appointment. All those things are all necessary. Before, they didn't do that. They just did your 30 days, kicked them out the door, and that was it. So we're working on the hospitals to try to train them a little bit more so they even have resources. Well, go here. Well, here's where you can go. Instead of just they've overdosed one minute, they brought them back with Narcan the next minute, and two days later they're out the door with nowhere to go. So we're trying to catch them, and we're not the only ones. There are other people, too, that we're working with. So that's what we're doing there. We're training police departments on addiction and recovery and what to think about on Narcan administration. All those things that are necessary for the physical people and then collaborating. Because we're all in this whole thing together, right? Um, We train recovery coaches so that that gives them now their new, their actual destiny of what they're supposed to do. Like they went through the recovery for something, and, and it didn't have to happen, but it did happen. And God is going to use it and attach a beautiful story to help others through that. So we train them. And we go into churches and train recovery coaches. We do it actually in with businesses, too. Um, we do equipping conferences. And a lot of them have been on Zoom now. But we equip, like, leaders. And we've done even some over in India, <laughs> which has been really cool to some pastors because they want to know about addiction And um, so we kind of bring that peace that they don't know. The more we know, the more we know how to meet and meet on that level. Every one of us, I think, in this room is touched some way by some sort of addiction in our family members, directly or indirectly. We do uh, recovery-friendly workplace with businesses. And so uh, we sign off on people that come to our meetings, and they get to keep their job. So we have this relationship with builders and uh, in our town and surrounding towns. Um, we offer life classes. We do this for the community. 
we do on-the-job training. So we've had a few of them that were um, on-the-job training paid us half the salary, and then we get to pay them and have them work for us and train them at the same time. Um, we assist our town office, our welfare department, Mothers with children need hotel rooms, so we put them up for the night because there's abuse in the family. We get them housing, so we're in with the people knowing their resources for housing assistance. Um, of course, we collaborate with all sorts of other recovery. They're not ministries, but they're, they're secular resources out in our community, and you need that because where are you going to send them? This place has this great place. We tour all our places, and we get their programs, and we try to understand. And when the people we send somebody there, they come out. We do an exit interview with them and say, how was this? Were you treated right? All of that stuff is really important because when people are calling you and you're saying, okay, God, where does this person need to go? They want it recovery, and they want it now. So you need to have a place right there. We need to know all our resources. So that's what we do. Um, we just equip them to get free for, from substances or whatever, codependency or addictions. So that's discipling them in the truth of God to grow in their destiny. When they come back to us, if they choose to come back to us, they're going to get lots of love, lots of help, and we're not going to smother them because we want them to learn to listen to the Holy Spirit. So my question every time I have a client is, what should I do? Let's ask the Holy Spirit. Have you asked the Holy Spirit? And they kind of look at me like, yeah, he said that he's going to lead us into all truth. So we teach them how to listen to the Holy Spirit. If they have a question, sure, we're there with them. Sure, we're doing a wellness plan. We're doing goals with them. You know, we're doing trigger um, plans with them. Sometimes the courts want trigger plans and safety plans and you know, sometimes people lose their hope and they want to end everything. And then we get to bring the love of God to that situation. Let's see. We have dinner at the first and third of every Tuesday because some people want to give back that have uh, uh, treasures and they want to cook for us. So we're really blessed to have that. We do the awards on Tuesday nights, too. And um, we have a big cross that's pretty much full. I think we might need another cross. <laughs> yeah, and we put nails on the cross. And um, we have a little bin, and Charlie says, okay, who, who's um, well like one month or one day or whatever it is? And there's these little nails, and we put little tapes on the nails that say one day, one to 30 days is a red and and a yellow for 30 days to 60 days. And they just, they can't wait. It's like, you know, AA has the coins, which are great, because it's a reward system. God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So they cannot wait for that nail. Oh, I'm going to wait for my six-month nail. I'm like, okay, you don't want to do your three-month? No, I'm going to do the six-month. So then they take it, and they have this little hammer, and they go to the, and nail it on the cross. And it's just covered. I wish I would have had a picture of it, but it's really kind of cool. So the results of all that we're doing is that we're, we're seeing healing take place. We're seeing people tapering down on meds. Now, maybe that, I used to think, what do you mean tapering down? Just get off of this stuff. But you know what? It doesn't always work that way. And I'm not saying God isn't a miracle-working God that he could do it in this moment right now, and he has. But there are other times that we need to create a foundation of truth so that that healing remains and sustained recovery occurs. And the Lord will walk through people. He'll walk that salvation out with them. So there's, we, But we have seen supernatural detoxes where, you know, you get off a of heroin. That could be a really hard detox. And though I've never done that, I have been told multiple times what it's like in, in many appointments. And so what we do is we lay our hands on them and say, Lord, we're just asking for a supernatural detox. When they go to treatment, that this is going to happen. And I've had at least three people call me back and say, you know what? I didn't get this. I usually do this when I detox. And they've done it, you know, several times. So they have a comparison. And they're saying the Lord really intervened. So we've got those things. Of course, I've told you before, we've raised a couple from the dead just because we didn't have Narcan. And we prayed for them. And they did come back. Um, it's our job to help people change the way they think. 
If we see they're walking in lies, then that's our job is to just love them into the truth and bring the truth. It's not to shove it down anybody's throat. It's for their brain, that's the natural part, not their mind, but their brain to actually get working again and stimulated. And so we use a motivational interviewing. We ask them questions. And questions start to, they have to formulate to start to think about it. And so that's part of the healing process. So we never give people the answers, or we try not to give them the answers. I'm sure we do at times, but that's our goal is to just say, have you thought about this? So in that way, we recovery coach presenting them to always be in charge of their recovery because we don't want them to leave gates and say, oh, Kathy and Charlie or Andrew aren't here. What do I do? Nope. Holy, she taught me to hold the, how, how to listen to the Holy Spirit, how to listen for myself. And so that's what we want to equip them to go out with. Um, we like to find, help them find their original identity in Christ. And some of them don't even know that because some of them have come from broken homes and, oh, the stories of trauma and abuse. And it's not this young generation. It's even the generation before that. And so it's a fatherless, kind of motherless generation and that we're dealing with. And, and I'm glad me and Charlie get to do this because we had three boys of our own, and God blessed us with all these other treasures that we get to love. We make goals with them. Parents are being restored back to children, and marriages are being restored. And, um, like, you know, um, licenses, like driver's licenses, they're being restored, and people are working. We're just helping people do the life paths that they're doing. Um, the social workers at the school have been calling out to us for now age 10 to 17. So you can help us. That's a good prayer point. If you could pray for us. Normally our clients are at least 17 to beyond or 18 beyond. But this 10 to 17 year old is, um, you know, they're in school vaping either nicotine or weed through their pens and USBs. And so we're, we're, <laughs> we're actually going, help God. <laughs> because, um, well, my granddaughter said, Grammy, you ought to go into the schools and talk. And I just said, oh, Mia, yeah. And I said, oh, that sounds like a great idea. And I thought, no, not that. You know, but then the Lord t- talked to me on my walk. And he said, Mia had a good idea. And I went, okay, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. <laughs> so I called up the superintendent. And she absolutely loved the idea of telling stories because a few of my coaches, a couple of my coaches have started doing drugs when um, I was told when they were very young. So now we're in formulating. We had a meeting, our team with her team. They absolutely love the idea of going into the school, telling stories and presenting another idea. I don't know how we're going to formulate it, but please pray because now we're like in the middle of, I'm talking with the social worker about five clients, mostly around age 12 to 15, these clients are. So I'm not only working with the clients, but also their parents. So that's to come. And Andrew will be involved in that, and so will Chelsea. Chelsea couldn't be here today because she went on vacation. But yeah, these are really important things that, okay, God, what are you doing now? And in our state, there isn't a whole lot of resources like treatments or help for that age group. And so I'm just really praying and, and working with the governor on that. Um, I went to Florida. The Lord was using me in Florida. Uh, I, Charlie was here I working, and I was there in Florida. And uh, we did a baptism with one of the guys in recovery groups in our pool right here in our neighborhood and um, we bought recovery books for people. Some of the recovery groups didn't have enough money, so Gates, the Lord told me to buy them recovery books that they were using. So I felt like I was planting seeds wherever I was going. I don't, I'm not quite sure how that will happen. But um, so far this year, in January, what we've just some of the stats, because we've just started keeping some stats this January. Is you have it all in your head, but it's nice to put it all down so that we can share these with everybody. Um, we sent seven people to treatment since January. Um, we have seven long-term people in recovery right now. 
So that's from one year on. And then uh, we, we um, support seven parents and families right now. So this could mean court or, or not. Um, Co-occurring addictions, so mental health with addictions. We have three people doing that. We've had not 10 newcomers, and that could be a little more because I wasn't there for two and a half months. Um, we've trained four new coaches. We've received um, the people that are being weekly coached are 15. So that's, they call them caseloads. In the clinical world, I call them treasure loads. <laughs> And so we've had nine people attend Bible study since January. We have five moms that we're working with in recovery and three people in court support. And um, so we're working to just do, we're working with the churches also to try to create a recovery-friendly congregation so that the churches know where to send people, that they know how to have a point person in their church. Just somebody that can help so everything isn't on the pastor because the pastor has a lot to do. And have you thought about going here or let's make an appointment here or see this person in your church? We go to the churches and do that training. Sometimes we're doing a recovery coaching training. Sometimes we're just sharing with them. So our goal is to build relationships and collaborate with all the people because that's what I heard six years ago when I became a recovery coach. The Lord clearly told me, okay, it isn't just going to be an in-church thing. You're going to become a recovery coach so you can bridge the gap. So outside comes in, and inside of the church comes out, and we're going to go together. And I have seen that over the last six years happening. And I just have to say, oh, God, you are really doing some cool stuff. And so, so many people have gotten free, um, you know, through, through just coming and me or Charlie or Andrew, you know, referring people out to where they need to be. And they come back to us. They have a different outlook. Their brain is at least 30 days clean. So we, we teach all this stuff to businesses and churches about nobody gets well physically in 30 days. But you know what? This is why we need others outside the aftercare. For us to be there, for you guys to be there, to love people, to continue to make them feel valuable. Because the enemy is telling them they're not. They're an the enemy tells a person in addiction, okay, maybe you're clean now, but you'll never be the same. All the lies. You're not valuable. Yeah, nobody can use you. Nobody's going to trust you. And those are all lies that we have to come along and walk right beside them and just tell them that's a lie. You know what? God sees you as a child of God, as a treasure, as somebody who's going out to help others. Because every time they minister to somebody else or they tell their story, their, Dr. Caroline Leaf says that their um, recovery increases by 70%. So he who refreshes one is himself refreshed. That's what it says. Um, I also am an appointed member at the, for the governor, Governor Sununu, for alcohol and other drugs. And they have a $10 million budget that I got to, you know, I get to put my two cents in. And they were writing their three-year action plan on Friday when I was in Concord. And they were asking for different recommendations. And the Lord said, this line right here doesn't have the word faith in it. You need to tell them. So I said, I have a recommendation as the faith community leader on this commission. Can we put that one of the sustained recoveries is faith? And they went, oh, yeah. So it got in for at least the next three years. <laughs> so otherwise, I just sit there and pray, 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 and offer my two cents when I, when I can. So... So thank you again. I'm going to bring up Andrew, and he's going to tell us a story, too, and just share with us. <laughs> Morning, everybody. I want to thank you all on behalf of Gates and myself and God just for uh, having me up here to tell you some of my story this morning. Um, some of this might get a little emotional for some of you. Some might get a little emotional for me. Uh, so forgive me if I cry or if I make anybody else cry. But uh 
So I just, I wrote some notes. Boy, I guess I wrote one more than I thought I did here. But uh, I tend to talk in circles. So I just, I didn't even know where to start. I go off on tangents sometimes. But uh, I was raised in a Christian household. Both of my parents met 15 years old in church youth group. And uh, we were raised in a church, went to Sunday school every week and everything. And um, at some point in my life, I kind of lost touch with God, and I went off on my own path, and life was a real struggle for me for a long time. Um, around the age of nine, I was sexually abused by a distant family member, and just the way things were handled, I, I just I didn't know what to do with myself. I felt unloved, and um, it all kind of got swept under the rug, and... I never dealt with it. Um, the, the school and the court forced me to go and speak to a counselor, and I wasn't ready to open up about my struggles at that point, and it just kind of turned me off to the mental health community completely. Um, not long after that, I was riding my bike, and uh, I got hit by a car. I ended up with some head trauma, and it changed me. Um, my behavior changed. I mean, my parents noticed differences in me immediately pretty much the day after the accident I became a different person and uh, it caused learning disabilities in me in school um, I've always been intelligent I did really well on testing but I had trouble sitting still and just just doing the schoolwork in school I learned what they were trying to teach me but I just I learned in a different way than other people and uh, I had a lot of behavioral problems in school I just I had a problem with authority and it was crazy. Um, things were pretty difficult around my teenage years. I was messing around. I had already already been involved in some substance abuse, but uh, some friends and I were messing around. I accidentally shot myself in the hand with a BB gun. And uh, at that point, the medical community was prescribing lots and lots of opiate medication. I think I was 14 years old, and they sent me home with this big giant bottle of Vicodin and told me, you can take these pills that make the pain go away. And Somebody who was struggling with mental health issues on top of that, it was just a recipe for disaster, and my life went downhill rapidly after that. Um, I ended up going to a Christian high school, not for the fact that I was seeking God or anything, but the fact that it was an alternative high school. I got to go to school for three hours a day and work full-time. I loved it. Um, I excelled. I did really, really well academically. I had a full-time job working at a body shop all through high school, and just just felt like I uh, found my place. The the principal there, she's a pastor, and I, I started seeing the power of prayer work in my life, and it was just amazing. So uh, after after I finished high school, I lost that pastoral role. I didn't have somebody to go to and pray with anymore, and um, became an adult. You know, I just I got thrusted out into the real world. I graduated high school a year early, so here I was, 17 years old, about to start college, and I just didn't feel like I was ready, and uh, kept abusing drugs. You know, it got me through my day and made me feel invincible. I just, I could, I could do anything. Um, so I, I battled with opioid addiction pretty bad. Um, just the area that I lived in, everybody I hung out with, all my friends, it just the whole situation, I was just completely wrapped up in opiates. I couldn't, couldn't walk away, and I battled that for years. So um, during that time, I found a woman, fell in love with her, and she got pregnant with my son. And uh, she was like... I think four or five months pregnant, and I finally realized the problem I had with opiates. I was completely powerless. Couldn't stop. I just couldn't. I couldn't make it through the day without getting terribly sick, and just violent, violent withdrawals that I had were debilitating, and I wanted to stop, but I, I had to keep a job. I had to go to work every day to make money to support this baby that was coming, but couldn't go to work without the drugs. So, I mean, it was, it was pretty much struggling every day of my life just to stay alive at that point. And um, I talked to my parents, was open and honest, and said, look, I've got a problem and I can't stop doing this. I need to go to rehab. So my parents found me a facility to go to. And uh, while I was in there, my now ex-wife, she had uh, pregnancy complications. She developed an infection, and they didn't know if the baby was going to make it. 
So I, I left rehab long before I should have. I wasn't ready in my recovery at that point. I should have stayed there. But I, I, I wanted to be home to support my girlfriend. And I mean, if something happened to that baby, I didn't want to be stuck in rehab. I wanted to be there for her. So I left. And uh, that's when my opiate addiction, my struggles really, really started because I decided I was done, but I couldn't do it on my own. And um, I, I just battled with it. I, I tried to stop and I cut down my use a lot. I wasn't getting high anymore, but it was, like I said, it was a survival thing. I, ha I had to take them every day just so I could function. And uh, I remember she had a really difficult difficult labor with my son. She was in labor for like four days and uh, that, was, that was my deadline I gave myself is once this baby's here, I'm done. I'm never touching this again. So uh, I was on four days of withdrawal. I was feeling pretty lousy sitting there watching her give birth to my son and there was some complications with his birth. He was born with his arm wrapped around his neck. He wasn't breathing when he came out, and I was terrified. And I remember just, just threw a foxhole prayer out there. All right, God, like if you, you let this baby live, I'm going to chase you the rest of my life. And uh, almost immediately he started crying. And I just, I knew it. I'm like, this is it. I'm, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done with drugs. So... I got off. Um, I actually went through a medical a medical assisted treatment program for about a year, and uh, the medication helped me get my mind frame right to the point where I could go through a few days of withdrawal, getting off of that other medication, and, and I could still function. It was just pr pretty easy transition. Um, so things went well for a while after that. I was clean and sober, and. Uh, we got married. We had another kid. I bought a house. My life life was just on a great path. I mean, who here likes fireworks? I mean, everybody. Everybody likes fireworks. So uh, I grew up in a family of fireworks. My, my dream job as a kid was to do what my grandfather did and run the warehouse and run a fireworks facility. So uh, shortly after I got off of opiates, I just got thrust right into my dream job. I was living the life that I had always wanted. Two kids, a house, my dream job, got the dog at home. Everything was going great. And then um, it was February 21st, 2019. I was sitting on my couch, and a drunk driver running from the state police hit my house at about 100 miles an hour. That's not an exaggeration. Um, and it just shook me to my core. It just absolutely destroyed who I was as a human being. I was diagnosed with PTSD, and I just I didn't feel safe. I felt like something was coming to kill me every minute of every day. And uh, that's that's really when my struggle with drinking began. Um, I just I, I picked up alcohol. It was socially acceptable. I could buy it at the store that was a hundred feet away from my house, and. You know, even though I've I've watched generational problems with alcoholism in my family, I I, I still picked up that bottle and thought that it was going to work for me, and um, it didn't work out. Um, I started drinking regularly. I got into a really dark place in my life, and uh, I just got really really depressed and suicidal. And I fought the drinking for a while, and. I just couldn't seem to give it up. And then March of 2020, COVID started. Like I just mentioned, I worked in the fireworks industry. It's public events. I'm bringing large gatherings of people together. So that immediately went away. I got laid off from my job. I lost my dream job, and I lost sight of everything that was important to me. My marriage began to fail. I, I just wasn't being the dad that I knew that I could be, and I didn't know what to do to change it. So I, I just kept drinking and drinking and drinking, thinking that was going to solve, you know, and it didn't. It, it just only made things worse. So I, I knew my marriage was done. I knew my wife didn't want to be with me anymore, and I just, I was at such a dead end, I didn't know where to go anymore. So November 5th of 2020, I... I stuck a gun in my mouth and tried to take my own life. Well, the, the gun didn't go off. Somehow in my drunken stupor, I had grabbed an unloaded gun, 
thank God. And uh, I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my mind around it. I remember pulling the trigger and hearing the gun click, and then all of a sudden I heard my wife's voice. She had just witnessed what I had done. That was it. That was the final straw. I mean, she, we're not together anymore. That that was it. That was the the last moment for her. She couldn't take the man she loved, couldn't take watching the man she loved try to end his life. And uh, so I don't remember much more of the night. I kept drinking until I passed out. Well, I woke up the next morning, and I had a note written to me. Um, I've been in touch with the police. I have a restraining order. You need to leave. You can't be here when I get home with the kids. So I'm like, oh, man, I really messed up this time. I just was completely in shock. And I knew, I knew it was because of my drinking. I knew everything, you know, and I felt a lot of shame. And I had nowhere to go. I called my parents up and was like, hey, look, I got to come back home for a little bit or I'm going to be living on the streets. And my gracious parents allowed me back into their house. And so a couple days after that, I tried to, I tried to drink myself to death at that point. I literally, I made a conscious decision that I wasn't going to eat any food. I wasn't going to drink any water. All I was going to do is drink alcohol until I perished. And uh, so it was 9 o'clock in the morning. I'm sitting there on my parents' steps with a, a family member, a friend, and um, we're drinking whiskey. So I, I, I had come to the conclusion that I wasn't able to kill myself by drinking, and that I should probably go to rehab. I called my parents and asked them if they could get me into rehab. They found a place. They were going to spend several thousand dollars out of pocket to send me there because I didn't have medical insurance at the time. So uh, as I was saying, I'm sitting there drinking at 9 a.m. with this guy on my front steps and trying to think of any excuse to get out of going to rehab the next morning. I'm like, I just was terrified. I didn't, I didn't want to go. I'm like, this, just something didn't seem right. And so he's like, well, let me, let me pray over you. You know, and so like I said, all, all these years out, out in the wild, I like to call it, um, I, was, I was just completely lost sight of God. I didn't believe in God. My life, didn't believe my life could ever get to where it was if God was real. So I'm, I'm not even sure everything he said. He put his hands on me, and he was praying. And I'm in my own own head, I'm asking God. I said, all right, God, if you're real, like, if you can hear this, just, just take my life or give me a new one. And I'm like, I completely broke down. I was asking my creator to end me. So I just, what God heard was my absolute and complete submission I was done doing things my way. I didn't know that's what I was asking to God. But uh, I had been battling alcohol withdrawals. I couldn't, I couldn't get through the day without drinking, or my hands would shake, and I'd feel really sick. And So, like I said, we were, we were drinking. I, I kind of laughed it off, like, ah, whatever. If I, but I, I went to bed that night, and I felt this absolute weight lifted off of me. And... Uh, the next morning I woke up, my hands were still, my hands weren't shaking. I didn't have any alcohol withdrawal. It was the day I was supposed to leave for rehab now. So here I am having no alcohol withdrawal and I'm scheduled to head to a medical detox facility. So I'm like, well, I don't, I don't need to go to medical detox facility. And I, I talked my parents out of bringing me there, and I, I promised them that that night I would go to a meeting. I said, I'll at least go to a meeting or something. I didn't even know Gates existed at the time. Um, so that day I ended up going to Gates more or less just to appease my parents, you know, give them some hope that I wasn't just going to go out and drink and that this wasn't some elaborate thing to get out of going to rehab. And uh, my life's been absolutely different ever since. Um, like Kathy said about loving people and stuff, you know, I've, I've been through the recovery ring for a number of years, trying with opiates, trying to get clean, and I always felt like a statistic walking in. I felt like these are people that have never been in my shoes that are just trying just trying to make money you know this is this is something people can make money out of whatever and 
I had that opinion walking in the doors and it immediately, just immediately was dissolved from me. I felt love that I've never felt in my entire life. Um, just genuine, genuine love. People walked in. They didn't want me to be any different. They didn't want me to say, or I, I guess I should say, I didn't feel like I had to say what I thought they wanted to hear. I walked in and I was just raw and honest and I was myself. And uh, I felt comfortable. I felt amazing. I just, like I said, that weight lifted off my shoulders. And uh, I didn't know it, but like over the next several months, I mean, I, I just started chasing God. I didn't even, at the beginning, I didn't know that's what it was, this feeling that I was feeling. But uh, like I go to Bible study every week. I mean, I'm I'm doing stuff now that I thought that I would never do. I'm definitely no scholar. I don't know all the all the verses off the top of my head. I still have to reference my Bible a lot, but uh, I believe every word that I read in it, and it's just, it's it's insane. So uh, I guess, yeah, that's, that's my story of how I got here today and what God's done in my life. And I guess I just want to close that with, I mean, no matter where you're at in your life, no matter how lost or how gone you think you are, uh, God's always listening, and the power of prayer, prayer is just absolutely beyond anything I can even put into words. So don't ever forget to pray. Don't ever feel like you're too far gone. Andrew, so awesome. Now, I'm going to speak for an hour only. No, not really. Maybe five minutes because you got the gist of what we do there. And like Andrew said, he walked in the door, he just, all those preconceived ideas, gone. Because that's what we should be doing with people that are on the outside, that are on the fringe. We should just love them, accept them exactly like they are, exactly how they are. And that's what we do. That's, that's, our, that's our MO, love. Um, you know, people say, what's your, what's your um, the rate of staying sober or whatever, I mean, you know, and we don't judge it by that. We don't rate it. We just love people. That, that's, that's what we do. We just love people. And then we can direct them, direct them. See, Andrew came in, and we just loved him. And guess what? He says, I'm just chasing God now. You know, it, we didn't have an agenda to, to, like, point him, now this is what you have to do. This is what the world does. This is what our state does. You have to have a doctorate. You have to have the alphabets behind, beside your name. You have to have this. You have to go to this. You have to. We don't have that agenda. We just have God. We just have the Holy Spirit, Jesus. And we just point him to, the, to him, you know, a new identity that, that he can chase after now. And that's what he does. We didn't purposely. He's just doing it. And that's what we do with every person that comes in. We welcome them. We don't judge them. We don't point out their sin. We don't point out. We just instill a new identity in them so they can renew their mind to who they are. Um, I'll read one verse. It's going to be quick. Genesis one twenty six. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Pretty basic, huh? It's like every person, I believe, is made in God's image. And in his likeness. So the potential is just amazing, okay? So some people say, no, they're not, they're not children of God until they've accepted Jesus Christ and wrote it in their Bible, the date. They're not children. But I just have another. I'm like, they're children of God. They just don't even know it yet. They don't even know it. They're not walking in it. And all of a sudden, Andrew, like, all of a sudden, he knows it. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's teaching Bible, he's teaching Sunday school at a church he goes to up there. He runs sound for us. He's chasing God. He's going to Bible study. Not that works makes you accepted. It doesn't. But because he was accepted, he's going to work. I mean, it, it just works opposite of what we think. So, so we, just, we just instill identity. We instill identity into, the, into our people and that they're children of God. They just don't know it yet, so we just kind of point them. Start walking in it. Start walking toward it. And all of a sudden, their mind gets renewed. Their patterns get changed. So it's a new concept because the world doesn't do that. They have all the programs, all the things. 
And we have AA in there, too, in our facility. And we don't always ascribe to what they say. You know, you're an alcoholic for 39 years. You'll always be an alcoholic. No. We don't ascribe to that. But some people do. And we just let them use our facility. We instill in them their treasure, their child of God. Start walking in it. You no longer, your past doesn't define you. And so that's all we do. Just love people. Love people, and then they're on a path, chasing God, as Andrew calls them. That's so cool. So, I encourage you to do to do what we do. Just love people where they're at, your neighbor, your coworker, um, whoever you're with around. Just accept them like maybe they've said a bad word to you, said bad stuff to you, done bad things to you. But look at them and say, hmm, I wonder what trauma they've had. I wonder what pain in their life they've had. You know, they're a potential child of God, or they are a child of God. They're potential, potentially going to be chasing God here. So I'm going to just start giving life, speaking life into them, giving them life lessons that are going to help them chase God, so to speak. So it's a lesson for all of us just to look at people in, with new eyes, with a new light that God gives us. And it's amazing. You can diffuse things with a word, with a, a new identity uh, saying, or whatever it is you're going to do. So there's such hope, hope for Andrew. It's been, how many years ago was that? A year and a half? A year and a half. He's been sober because God did it. And it's not a program. It's just, it's just Jesus pointing them to Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God, and he changes them. And you have that here. That's, I mean, Daryl and Lynn, they, um, what do you call it, ordained us, licensed us to do this and sent us out to preach the good news. And guess what? Preaching the good news isn't as hard as you think because it's really just loving people. Loving people. And it should be good news, too. It's kind of fun when it's good news. I know Melissa, was it Melissa? See, it's kind of fun when, you, when you're spreading good news to people. It's not a hard, hard message like some people say you should do. It's not. It's good news. The gospel is good news. So I encourage you, share the good news with people around you and... We love you guys. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about our church, visit faithworship.org.